Hello, and welcome to episode 71 of Makers.dev. Chris, 71 is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, 71 is a big number. But, it's uh, a big number. It's yeah. what happens when you just do it every week, a year and yeah. a half. Yeah, I feel like it, it was like last week we were at 52, and I was like, oh my God, I've been doing this for a year. Yeah. And now it's 71, and that's such a bigger number than 52. I need to go back at some point and re-listen to the old ones. I feel like I would get a lot of insight from... Uh, where I was at that time and the things I've been struggling with. Like I, I've talked about this several times, but I, I feel like my main motivation for doing this is for me. <laughs> like I almost don't care if other people are listening to it. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to be a, an audience member uh, and not just a producer. But, uh, how, how do you feel about the number 71? Yeah. Yeah. Um, same here. One of the benefits of us cross posting to YouTube is that I watch YouTube and I'm subscribed to our feed. And so every once in a while it will pop up like a really old episode and I'll give it a listen. So like, like I recently listened to like our first episode popped up. So I gave it a listen. Um, and we're starting to get relatively, I say relatively big view numbers, you know, like over a hundred views on the older wow. episodes. And so, really, yeah, which is, uh, yeah. Considering we get like five views on the newer episodes per yeah, week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's neat. It just kind of compounds, uh, historically too. So that's cool. That's amazing. And really surprising to me. I hadn't checked those numbers recently. Uh, how cool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's. I feel like we're we're like curating our own YouTube of content of ourselves from the past. I have that sometimes with vacation videos. I'll like spend some effort editing a vacation video, and then you know a year or two later I'll watch it, and that's like I'm reliving the vacation. It's it's really fun. Uh, I'll say also I'm pretty confident I fixed the audio issue, and I think I want to write a blog post about it or something. Um, or maybe tied into like a bigger SaaS, but I'll, I'll say that for later. That's a thing I want your hot take on. Um, but it took until episode sixty nine. 68 i think was the first one to fix this audio issue that's been plaguing us and i'm reminded of <laughs> at the very beginning this mantra we had of just like just ship it like ship yeah. it and fix it in the next one <laughs> that issue i just kicked the can down the line all the way to, to that episode and i'm so happy i did that because if i wanted to because i had this streamlined pipeline of i have all the original source files i could theoretically i don't know if i'll ever be able to justify this just rerun my script on all the old files and update the audio on transistor i couldn't do that on youtube but whatever right. um and that the audio uh is going to be fixed but perfectly fine and happy with having done this many episodes and now this episode on to the future that audio is going to be nice and crispy and uh I, I think that's a that's that's the ideology i want to be following in life of just ship it and then uh <laughs> fix it later if it bothers you yeah exactly and that's kind of what i'm doing with acorn chat and i think what you're doing with the you know, new version of file inbox, like yeah. that works for SAS too. Yeah. Just ship it and fix it later. <laughs> yeah. It's a good mantra. Chris, what did you get up to last week and why did it have so much to do with spam? Ah, yes. Spam. Uh, well, so first my parents were here like for Easter and spring break. So I did that. That was nice. Um, and so I only had like a partial week really cause I was with them, but yes. So I, last week I shipped, launched uh, sastips.com which is a new thing that I'm doing, uh, mostly for myself, just like this podcast, but it is going to be a catalog of everything that I learn on podcasts and in articles and everywhere uh, in books about SaaS. Um, I have wanted to do this for a while, like publicly produce a catalog of what I learned because I will remember like this tip from some podcast and I have to like dig through either, like I keep a lot of notes, like random notes in different places. Um, yeah, so I, this is, you know, I'm not, uh, producing my own tips or anything this is just curation this is a curation of, of other tips so yeah i'm launching it as like a kind of like i guess it's sort of like a blog but it's mostly like a newsletter so you can sign up for it and get tips 
And as soon as I did that, I started getting a bunch of spam email addresses. And so these are email addresses that look kind of normal. Um, they're mostly at like Yahoo or AOL or whatever, but they look kind of normal, but they don't go anywhere. They never double opt in. Um, and I've noticed this before, not on this site, but on other sites um, where I ask for a first name and then an email address. I will get a first name that's either gibberish, it's like just random letters and numbers, or it's a first name like Greg, and the email address will be like Derek123 at yahoo.com. So it's like the the name and email address don't line up at all. Yeah, so I was it was just really annoying because I would have like, you know, 10 valid email addresses, sign up for SAS tips, and then like 100 random bot emails. Uh, and so I posted on Twitter, like, what's the easiest way to fix this? I didn't really want to put a CAPTCHA on it because then like that's a little annoying. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I ended up implementing honeypot, uh, honeypot input for in, input fields, which is something that the bot will fill out, but is hidden from you know regular users. And I did it with JavaScript as well, so like two different ways. And so far, both ways have it's either like a hundred percent, or there is one sort of suspicious email that may have slipped through that I, that I but but I've been checking every day, and yeah, so far it's caught all the bot emails. So I think I've effectively squashed the the bot email address problem. That's what I did. I have six points that I <laughs> okay. want to talk about from what you just said. Uh, from top to bottom, uh, I love the idea of SAS tips. That's really cool. I feel like you're doing a lot of what I wanted to accomplish with, uh, want, continue to want to accomplish with recap.app of mm. uh, like, it's it's a way for me to consolidate my thoughts from these talks I'm watching and uh, things I'm listening to. Um, as part of the process of writing it and putting it in my own words, I'm understanding it much better. And then it's a, you know, if, if someone's Googling for this thing, uh, they'll find this. And I've had several dozen times of uh, having a conversation with someone and being reminded of one of these uh, notes that I took on these conference talks and being able to send them the link of like, oh, here's my consolidated thoughts on this thing. Yeah. Um, Patrick McKenzie, one of the first conversations I had with him when I was still starstruck, like went behind the ears of like, oh my God, it's Patrick McKenzie. Uh, I think one of the questions I asked him was this sort of like naive, like, how do I be successful like you? <laughs> uh, his answer was leave breadcrumbs, which I think mm. is a tip that he got from uh, a dude named Joel on software. Uh, yeah, Joel on software. Do, do you know who that is? I wasn't yeah, familiar with yeah. it. Yeah, okay. Joel and Software. So Joel Splosky, he started Fog Creek, which started yes. software consulting and then turned into the company that made FogBuzz tracking and then Stack Overflow. So that's was his giant thing. Stack Overflow. Oh, okay, that's the guy behind Stack Overflow. Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, apparently Patrick McKenzie was very inspired by uh, Joel Spolsky and uh, specifically this mantra of like leave breadcrumbs. And that's part of what made Patrick McKenzie have this incredibly prolific writing career of like, I, I, I tallied one time, I think this was in 2008, uh, when Hacker News first opened their API, I tallied the total word count for all of Patrick McKenzie's posts on Hacker News. And his total word count was higher than all of the Harry Potter books combined. <laughs> he wrote, <laughs> yeah. he wrote a, a novel series on Hacker News being helpful. Yeah. And that's you know, in addition to his personal blog and everything else. So I love this as a, as a practice. I think it's a really good idea. I'm reminded also of uh, an idea you had for consolidating math concepts uh, yeah. from things that you're learning in your master's degree. I could imagine mathtips.com as a thing that grows out of this. Where, where are you with that project? Um, I have mostly stopped that project because it turns out it's very, very difficult to create good math content. <laughs> Interesting. That's, yeah, um, which is why the world needs more of it. Um, but yeah, I tried to, I tried four or five or six times to create simple, good math content um, that would help me and help either viewers or readers. 
and it's just really hard mm. <laughs> so and maybe that means i don't understand it well enough which is probably true mm. but um yeah it's it's a lot easier to summarize you know what someone said in a podcast about SAS uh, than it is to you know summarize a math theorem or something yeah that's very interesting huh okay um yeah it's it's more conceptual i guess you have to three three blue one brown uh mm-hmm. or one brown three blue uh, three blue one brown fantastic yeah. three blue one brown uh i think does a fantastic job of that but but i can't imagine that the conceptual work that goes into that like that the end product that we're seeing it just flows so nicely and is, is so easily digestible and has such beautiful animations and i feel like i just get the concept immediately but i think the behind the scenes work of that is probably incredibly difficult yeah okay. it's, like, it's a full-time job to make like a 20 minute video every week or something you know yeah yeah okay okay that makes sense um i i'm not fully satisfied with that i feel like i feel like if you did it badly that'd be better than not doing it at all like if, if it was you know if it was if you recorded just a 20 minute live stream of you on your ipad taking notes of trying to explain this concept and sort of fumbling through it i feel like that'd be better than no video it would except that would take time away from me doing other the other stuff so okay i'd rather do yeah, tips fair. well than math tips poorly i guess is what i'm saying that's a good argument i like i like focusing okay yeah i'm, I'm sold uh small side note there inspired by your idea for doing math tips uh and the conversation we had about that i have continued to anytime i google something and i remember having googled it before mm. it goes in a blog post of that topic and i don't know when the most recent one that i published that is but like just for me personally one of them <laughs> one of the things is how to in tailwind vertically and horizontally center an object in a flex box Yes. And for the life of me, this information just is not sticking in my head. It's I think it's justify dash content and align dash no justify dash center and yes. align dash center, but it could be content Item, center. Items I don't know. center. Yeah. The reason it's hard is because and this bugs me about Tailwind, uh it is backwards from what Flexbox is. So Flexbox is align items center and justify content center. Okay. And Tailwind is justify center and items center not align center and so okay. it takes the first word for justify and the second word for items and, and it, yes that bugs me <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is the sort of thing once i get my flashcard app up and running like that's that's going in a flashcard yeah uh because i just want to have that top of mind but until then i have a blog post at gen.co slash tailwind that is all of the things i commonly google in tailwind and the very first one is how to horizontally and vertically align a thing in Flexbox. And it's something I've Googled a dozen times before doing this. And yeah. since I wrote this down, which I think I think we started this like a month and a half or two months ago, I think I've checked my own internal blog post. I think I've checked it four times. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and every time I'm like, ah, of course. And, you know, it's I've, I've written it and formatted it. So it's like I know exactly what it's called. I know exactly where it is. I know exactly where the answer is. I just go there and I, I, I know how to get there really quickly. And then I go and copy it and, and I'm able to have it. So, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I love that the idea of SAS tips. Uh, so, so side note for your side note. Uh, yep. I was going to do this for chrisishard.com slash Python and slash PyTorch because yes. I keep looking up how to you know read and write files for python or dictionaries to files i'd look at every time and saving and loading pytorch models right uh, but christashard.com is written in an old version of gatsby and i cannot upgrade for the life of me <laughs> like I tr- i've tried three times <laughs> and so i have to rewrite it and i'm probably going to choose hugo or something not gatsby yeah it's, it's so the next thing i have to do is rewrite christashard.com just so yep. i can change content <laughs> so yep yeah and then you're gonna have to be shaving a yak man i 
I would bet with reasonable confidence that you're going to end up writing your own blog engine because I went through the exact same thing like, <laughs> what, a year ago? And that's what I ended up doing. So I, I would have, but I think I, Hugo is the one I think I've, I've ended on for something else. And, and Hugo's pretty good. It's a static blog okay. generator. Yeah, and it's pretty good. Okay. So, yeah. Good. <laughs> I hope you don't rewrite your own blog engine. Yeah. Um. Cool. Uh. Okay. Uh, I, have, I have four more things I want to talk about from just the your opening okay. uh, sentence. Um, the, uh, oh, where do I want to start? Oh, I wanted to say I also was getting those weird, uh, never opting in fake looking email addresses on recap.app, uh, previously microconf.gen.co. And at first I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, I've had a thousand signups. Holy cow. That, that's amazing. Uh, and then I looked at it and they just felt wrong. Yep. Uh, like the, that all of the names were proper nouns. Like it wasn't a person's name; it was like bridge and, yeah. or like uh, <laughs> you know railroad. And I was like, "What?" Um, and then yeah, the email addresses just sort of looked strange. Um, what's what's going on? Why <laughs> why are people doing this? Uh, I I heard a theory on Twitter that it was like people trying to spam other email addresses so it's an attack on the email address that they're trying to like ddos an, an email address by signing it up for a whole bunch of uh of newsletters or something uh that that doesn't quite resonate with me what's in the, in the research you've done so far what, what's your take on that yeah so yeah so I, I think aaron francis said it best on twitter he said money i don't know how but the answer is money <laughs> yeah um yes uh so this is my best understanding of at least one of the reasons why this happens okay there are email addresses uh and email lists that email services maintain as like honeypot email addresses that are known bad email addresses and if someone tries to send email to and and they're on these lists of emails that you can buy so these lists of a million email addresses of certain things you know they're they're you know flooded with email addresses that are known bad email addresses Mm -hmm. and so if people send email to those email addresses then the email providers know that that sender has bought a list Mm -hmm. and is just spamming the list and so they put them on spam so what the senders have done in response is they'll buy the list and before they use it, they will sign every everyone on that list up for loads of email address, uh, loads mm. of email newsletters and th- they'll get email sent to those email addresses from any source possible Yep. to like warm up the email address basically and then it becomes useless as a honeypot email address and then they can send email to those email addresses without getting blocked. That okay. is my current understanding of the shady list bombing practice. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So now, now people like you and me are going to be messaging these addresses first, right? And now the email providers are going to be like, "Oh, legitimate people are emailing these email addresses. This must have gotten out. We can't depend on this anymore as a sign of someone is definitely a spammer, right? So let's just ignore this email address from now on. And now, whoever bought the list of email addresses can email the whole thing and and have less heat on them." That is my understanding. I, I think there are multiple reasons, but that is at least one of them. Yeah. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. It, it's money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, money. It was money. Good. <laughs> cool. Uh, that, that that sort of encompassed three of the points I, I wanted to hit. Um, so this is some work that you've done of like figuring out this this honeypot strategy. Uh, can you talk about the, the technical aspects of that of how you did that? Yeah. So I did three things, and and there's more to do. There's more I could do. And then someone else on Twitter brought up a good point. So I'll talk about that. So the first thing I tried was just adding a hidden name input field 
and just using display none to hide it. Mm -hmm. That didn't work. The bot seemed to understand that that was something that they should not fill out. Mm -hmm. So instead, I wrapped it in a div and just set width to zero, mm -hmm. and that seemed to work. So the bots don't use at least the high the high um, traffic bots like the ones that do this all the time. They don't mm -hmm. use screen readers or anything. They just read the HTML, look for input forms that aren't hidden apparently, and fill them out. So wrapping it in a div and putting width zero mm -hmm. hit it for my regular users but not for the the bots and so they fill out a fake name and now i know that anything that gets filled out in this fake name form is a bot mm -hmm. um, so that was the first way and that seems to work that caught all the bots so far the other way i did it is a javascript way so this requires that you or this yeah requires that users use javascript on your website but i put another hidden form so an actually like input hidden form on there with a filled in value by default. And then in JavaScript, as the page loaded, I cleared out that value. And then when I get the form submit, if that value has the original value in it, I know that JavaScript was not enabled. And so it was either a bot or someone without JavaScript enabled. So yeah, you, yeah. that does require that users have JavaScript enabled, but it also that also triggered for all the ones that look like bots to me. So Interesting, that's very clever. Um, you mentioned something about uh, someone had a comment on how you're doing this on Twitter. Oh, yeah. So the bad thing about both of those is that screen readers also, like, do the same thing these bots do, basically. Yes. So it is a poor screen reader-like um, thing. So I was trying to figure out how to do that. My current – I have to do more research. My current best guess is to do something like name the field, like, unused or something. So if someone is an actual human with a screen reader, they will click – they will hit an unused field and hopefully just skip it yeah that's that's my best my best guess is a workaround for that but okay i like that or maybe maybe something like hello you're on a screen reader please don't fill this out <laughs> yeah something like that right? oh yeah uh okay cool oh can you can you tab to the uh input that's behind the zero with div you can so so you can set the tab index like so so, so you the way I have it, if you tab right now, you tab first to the, the email address, and then the next yes. tab is the enter button. But yes. if you tab again, you do get to the hidden name field. Yes. But most people won't tab okay. to a hidden name field and fill something out. Okay, that makes sense. Cool. I don't know if you can... If you set a tab index to like negative one or something, does it never tab? That would be something to look up to. That's a good question. I, I would imagine if you just don't set a tab index, then it's not... There, there has to be a way to like exclude something from the, the tab. Yeah, there has to be a way. If you don't set a tab index, it by default will still tab to it interesting yeah there's gotta be a way to do that uh cool so you had a problem and you solved it and now you're done and you can move on to other things right <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> uh yes uh, i'm going to move on to other things but uh this gets to a hot take idea that i had so here is my my request for a hot take um, i'm so ready yeah so i did this work uh and now i have done the work and that seems like a great candidate for a little sass um other people have email forms and they don't want junk emails in their email forms. So it seems like there should be a SAS that that lets you set up a little form and has all of these hidden honeypot fields. It could also have, you know, if you, the other thing about the honeypot field is if you are being purposefully attacked, then this doesn't work because they can just write a little script to get around the hidden field and then it's done. So mm. like maybe optionally turn on reCAPTCHA, you know? Mm. So if you are getting intentionally, you know, attacked, then that would help. Mm -hmm. Um, and lots of other little things. There's probably better ways to do the honeypot, you know, and then you could write nice articles and stuff about it. And then, yeah, so, I mean, the, the mini SaaS idea is basically 
implement all these as a little SAS and have people create forms and put them in their web pages with a little script and then collect email addresses or other or other things. Um, I'll, I'll pause there. I, I have more to add on to that SAS idea if you want, but what do you think? What's your hot take? I love this as a small SAS idea. This is very similar to what our mutual friend Shai Schechter is doing with Smart Subscriber. He took this one little piece of an email content, uh, 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 email sending platform and productized it. And his little piece of it was uh, the unsubscribe page. So when you hit unsubscribe and you go to the default, whatever, convert it page, it's uh, just a, ma a mass, like you unsubscribe from everything. Uh, that's a problem because, you know, what if they just didn't like that particular email and they actually want to stay subscribed to, to other things? Um, and that was a problem he had, I think, or, or a friend of his. So he whipped up a smarter unsubscribe page that's, you can unsubscribe from individual lists and uh, bought a domain name, smartsubscriber.app.com, I think. Um, and built the little convert kit integration. Uh, and I think may also integrate with drip or something else. And, uh, now it's just, now it's an add on that integrates perfectly with that. And he, he figured out the sign up if you paste your keys in here. And, uh, that's just the one little piece that's uh, being replaced by convert kit. And, uh, I haven't talked to him about how much money that's making. He, he launched that like, uh, one or two months ago, but since he launched it, ConvertKit, he saw someone from ConvertKit signed up for his product and <laughs> reached out to him and I think they had a conversation or something. And uh, they have since added native support <laughs> for the thing that he did. Hmm. And that's inevitably, I think, what happens here. This is like yeah. the classic thing that Apple does. Uh, this is this is what happened to uh, CoverFlow. CoverFlow used to be this standalone app that was revolutionary. But like, oh my God, you can look at your albums as if they're uh, physical albums. And then Apple rolled it in. And a lot of the other things of like, a lot of the features of Spotlight, I think came from Alfred and Quicksilver. And um, and that makes sense from the platform's perspective, right? Like it's sort of a hostile attitude to have towards your developers. And now people are going to be more cautious of uh, doing things for your platform. But it is a better user experience if it's just like a toggle in ConvertKit that says, uh, you know, add a uh, recapture uh, yeah. checkbox to my thing. So I like keeping it as a little SaaS because I think that's inevitably going to happen. It's not going to happen with everyone. It's not going to, like ConvertKit's probably going to pick it up. Drip might a little later. Um, everyone that you integrate with, if, if they had a head on, if they have a head on their shoulders, they're eventually going to do this themselves. Um, and I think there's still room in the market for it. And I could see if this starts becoming popular, if you really figure out, if you tap into some crazy marketing thing that like, this is where all the people are that are constantly getting spammed and I have a thing that will help them. And it's not just for email fields, it's also for any type of form. And here's yeah. a little snippet of JavaScript you can add that will add honeypot fields to uh, all of your form submissions. And you know, I tell you whether or not it was uh, fraudulent or not, uh, honeypot.app or something. Uh, and you, you include the honeypot JavaScript. Uh, that's, that's my hot take. I would start by, I, I think it's, I think it's totally viable and a cool SaaS idea that wouldn't take a, a lot of time to just make a thing that added on to ConvertKit. Um, I think inevitably it's going to get integrated into the full app and there's no reason for them to acquire you. Cause like, this is just a feature. This, this is not like a, a from their perspective, it's a feature for a lot of, for a lot of their users it's a mission critical thing that yeah. justifies paying you more money. Um, yeah, I built it in a weekend, right? I mean, the yeah. initial version at least. So yeah, it's it's yeah. a feature. Yeah, for sure. So another weekend and like, this could be a thing that you sell. How, how much harder would it be to add, you know, throw this up on a server and uh, user accounts and billing and that's all stuff you can just copy and paste from other projects. And then uh, 
input the person's API keys for ConvertKit, figure out how that works. What did you what did you integrate this with on your end? Where where was your uh, email list stored? So this is currently just being stored in a database. So okay, yeah, okay. So emails go to a database. This leads to hot take uh, number one point five <laughs> of, of my list, <laughs> yeah. um, which is an extension of this idea. So yes, this is just a feature, right? But it's leading into what I want for SaaS tips and what I have wanted. I I have tried several email senders, ConvertKit and others, and what I want oh, no. is oh yes. hold on <laughs> what i want wait a minute <laughs> what i want is to use another sender so postmark or sendgrid or something like that right okay. or convert it but i want the ui to be different for sending out newsletters i want to be able to write my newsletter mm-hmm. and then on the left side see when things get sent the way that all like every newsletter sender that i've seen so far does it is you like you set the date and then you write the thing and then all you have is like a list of things that are going to go out and a date and it's like hard to figure out like when things are going to go out it's it's so what i want is a calendar on the left yeah. or like like a list view calendar like ios and then on the right my content and then it's like this is going to go out to you know three thousand people do you want to publish and yes publish and then it goes into like a queue right and gets sent out at the right time okay so that's what i want uh there are lots of other features you could then add <laughs> but the yeah. basic idea is if you have this form capturing emails then you have all the emails instead yeah. of just sending them to something. Why don't you make a UI for actually sending the emails? And on yeah. the back end, I don't want to do the sending. So you bring your own postmark keys or send grade or convert yeah. it or whatever. Yeah, but. but I have UIs for sending out nice things like newsletters and email blasts and things based on, you know, like I have a nice API for that. That is my hot take idea 1.5. <laughs> what do you think? The, the joy of being able to write software is like, you're going to do this, and it's like <laughs> just for you. And it's it's going to be gonna do it It's going to be exactly I'm, what you want. I'm going to do it for SaaS tips. It's already half done. Yeah. Good. So it's already half done for me. Yeah. That's great. Uh, for, for evaluating this as a product, I don't, I don't think I fully understand what you're doing differently. You, you, it, so it is a, the problem is through, I'm writing a, I'm writing a new blog post and I want to schedule when it's going to get sent out. How does that happen? So, so it's a minor distinction and it's for newsletters only. So even, even like Substack and stuff, I, I they do this wrong. I would say, which okay. is, it is very difficult to say like, I want my newsletter to go out every Tuesday. I want to make sure that for the next three months, I have a newsletter going out every Tuesday. I want yes. to be able to tell in like two seconds that I have all those done and published and edited. And yes. Whatever. Right. Oh, this is exactly what I did for the content calendar for clips.marketing. You yeah. have a, you have a queue of posts independent from your schedule. So you can yes. say what your schedule is. You can say, I want to send out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then, and then you ignore that. And then you just write posts and you add them to the queue. Is that right? Uh, so, so, uh, yes, except you can also schedule on cert- for certain days. That's what I want to be able to do. Sure. And okay. then there'll be like a big red box for the day that you don't have something scheduled. And so I can look at a calendar and I see a big red box. Like for next Tuesday, I need a post. Okay. Yeah. So I, okay. I, I, I have in this queue five posts that are just posts that uh, nothing special about them. That it's just going to go on the, on the queue uh, if there's not something else to schedule. And I post every Monday. I, I want my uh, thing to go out every Monday at 9 a.m. And this new cool thing just happened in the world. And now I want to write a special post about that and have that go out tomorrow morning. And tomorrow yes. morning is a Friday. So I write the post and I can say, ah, this is a special delivery. I want to go out tomorrow at 9 a.m. Uh, so that's going to go out Friday at 9 a.m. And then with me doing nothing else, the next post in the queue is going to go out Monday morning on my normal content calendar. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And if you have five posts, then on the sixth Monday, there'll be a big red box. And so you know very quickly that you 
don't have something going out on that Monday. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I also agree that this is the correct way to do a content calendar <laughs> because, <laughs> because like, yeah, the normal way of doing it is like you schedule a date per post. And then if you want to bump something up or if you, if you want to change the content calendar and, and stretch it out a little longer, like it's a mess because you have to go through each individual post and say like what the, and, what the date is per post. And there's no visual representation. So you have to like read yeah. the dates and make sure, and usually they don't say the, say the day on them either in your yeah. time zone. And so you like have to read and figure out what day that is. And like, do you have something every, yeah, it's, it's a mess. Yeah. 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 I like the idea too of having a, having things on your, a, a visual representation of here's the calendar for the upcoming posts. You're green until a month and a half from now. Yep. And mm -hmm. that's when, so if, if you make new content now, you're going to push that out to the future. Cause now I can think about like, ah, I need new content ideas, but not for another month and a half. So I'm fine. I'm, I'm on track. I'm, I'm ahead of the work that I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and once you have an, like an editor, for example, you can have a post that is yellow until the editor does it, then it's green. So if you're on, if you're logged in on Friday and you see a yellow post for the next Monday, then you can yeah. ping your editor and be like, Hey, this isn't edited yet. Yeah. 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 And then you, you have to mark each post as like ready to be published before it officially goes in the published queue. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I, d I did something really similar. Like it's, it, down to the like you know is this ready to be published or not for uh for clipstop marketing um yeah i really like that as a as a better content calendar um man what is that service though like well, <laughs> so that's why <laughs> so that's why i didn't have it as a SaaS idea until i had this idea to collect email addresses with this this bot protection you know this bot prevention yeah. thing so you have bot prevention email address collection and then you have the ui for sending emails yeah. And then to actually send the email, you use a service that's better at that, you know, send grid postmark, convert it. But I agree that that makes sense to bundle together for you because these are both just features of sastips.com. For someone who's uh, a content calendar, it's a totally different product than a, like, unless you're going to build your own. I agree. Uh, yeah. Unless, oh, sorry, my watch is going off. Uh, unless you're going to build your own, um, like, integrated blogging engine and also host the blog posts and everything else like but i don't think that's what you're doing i think what you're doing is like having an alternative to buffer mm. that's but for your own newsletter but for any sort of content well you start with a newsletter does buffer Man, let you do that work does buffer have like i don't know if they do <laughs> newsletters i think they just do social uh accounts okay yeah I think this is a bigger problem for social accounts than it is for for email. Like the, the core yeah. the core idea here to me is this: uh, it's it's a better way to queue blog posts. Um, it's, well, no, it's it's a better way to queue content that you have a queue and yeah. you have a schedule, and it, it you you slot the the things in the queue into the schedule. Um, and I think the play there is a generic. Here are the potential places we could publish. One of them is an email list. One of them is Facebook. One of them is Twitter. I actually have a lot of this half done for uh for eclipse.marketing. marketing yeah um i i think that's the product and then and then you just enter things separate from your blog engine you could be getting this content from anywhere uh you enter content in the queue and for eclipse marketing it, it's important that some of that be uh video um yeah but i i think that's the product i think this, that's where i would oh man so what's funny is i'm probably going to build that all for SAS tips too at least twitter because mm -hmm. i want to send out tweets and i want to schedule them yeah. and so I'm probably gonna end up building that <laughs> anyway for Zastic. Maybe this is mm. the uh, the product we work on together. We've been mm. for it for, uh, for 50, no, 60, no, 71 episodes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, All right, we'll have to think about that. Okay, cool. Interesting. That's that's how I would attack that. That's I think it's a really good 
solution to a juicy problem. Um, although saying that, I don't actually know. I'm not familiar with the market of like who would be using that. Um, it's it's like sort of a ConvertKit competitor, even though like I could use it on the back end. It's like sort of. I think it's a buffer competitor. It's like a, a, it's a buffer, buffer and ConvertKit competitor. It's like a a better yeah, way to queue know. posts. Yeah, so that's why. At the same little... time, though, like I don't know, is this just a problem for us because we don't have like a content right. team, <laughs> right? Uh, and yeah. it doesn't matter if your content team has to individually do the posts. Like, what I really want to do is build this for ConvertKit, and then like then I can just use it in ConvertKit. Like, like yeah. I mean, like you know, like work work at ConvertKit for a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build it yeah, for yeah. them and then quit. <laughs> uh, so if anyone from ConvertKit is listening, uh, yeah, yeah. Cool. Anyway, all right, that okay. is my hot take one point five. Uh, I have a second one. Are you ready for a completely different second hot take? Let's go. Hot All take right. 2.0. Uh, during uh, MicroConf, Rob Walling, one of his 30 tips was you should have a marketing change log, mm-hmm. which is kind of a new concept to everybody uh, that I talked to, but it's just a list of marketing changes that you did. So mm-hmm. you change your pricing, you change the wording on your homepage, whatever. You keep a spreadsheet with the date and what you changed and you know maybe reasons why or what you were expecting or something, but it's really just a you know change log of, of what you did. And... I was listening to another SaaS podcast where they, uh, where someone told it to someone else and, and they were like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. I should do that. Uh, and so naturally I looked, uh, on Namecheap and marketingchangelog.com is available. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, no. I, I brought, I, well, I didn't buy it, but I brought that okay. up to you and I, and I asked, uh, if that would make a good SaaS and you said, what would make it different than a spreadsheet? And I did exactly. not have an answer then, but I kind of do now, which is you could automate a lot of this. So you could track website changes by taking screenshots, you know, every day and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. You could integrate with like Stripe, for example, to show your MRR and when things changed. Uh, you could track yeah. things like your blog and your content that goes out. So here's the blog post that was published here. You could also do things like every one of your employees has a feed of all the changes and they can make comments and they can ask the owner of that change, how that affected things and stuff like that. So I think there are lots of sort of ancillary features that you could add. Um, the problem is it's kind of a brand new market and it may not be any better than an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> so mm. there's that problem. But yeah, what is your hot take? What is my hot take? <laughs> I like the idea of integrating with Stripe because that's like solid data that you can use to cross with the, the data that you're putting into it. The main unknown for me right now, I think is I've never used a marketing change log and yeah, I don't think you have either. So nope. like I, is it sufficient to have screenshots? Is it sufficient to have things of blog posts? Like I, I have my, uh, uh, in, in my recap of Rob Lang's talk at recap.f, uh, I have a screenshot of his marketing change log, um, and those sorts of things that didn't, I haven't actually looked through item by item of like, would this, would this have been covered by screenshots? Uh, would this have no. been covered by like a, a list of the uh, articles? Okay. No, you'd also have to add things like we changed the pricing like that might be like sort of a more hidden yeah. change. I guess screenshots would cover that, but also like we integrated with this, you know, partner. We did this tweet storm with this influencer, you know, those yeah. are not screenshot, screenshotable things, but they're all marketing things. This is a really good problem that if, if you can unlock, like the copy would write itself of we had no idea what we were doing in marketing and we were lost in the dark and we were just, we weren't sure what was working, yeah. what wasn't working. And you know, sometimes MRR would go up and sometimes it would go down and we had no idea what was causing what. And then with marketingchangelog.com, we were able to see, Oh, here's the event that happened. And that's when the thing went up. Um, I'm not convinced 
I would want to see you do this with a spreadsheet first. Mm. And I think, and and then I would want to see you like consult for someone else just tracking the things they were doing with a spreadsheet. What, what am I looking for? Like, it's a cool idea, but uh, it's not, I don't, I don't, it feels like software in search of a problem. It feels like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think you hit it on the head when you said, you know, that, that this might not be providing any additional value over a, a spreadsheet. Um, to turn this into a business, I think would look like first provide value with the spreadsheet, figure out a way to do that, figure out how to contact people, figure out who your customers are, what the words are that they talk about this sort of problem. Because uh, it sounds like it's, you know, companies at the size of Drip when they implemented this, which was uh, a little bit before Rob sold it, which I think it was something like, I don't know, 50 employees. Um, so like the, the, the path to developing this as a business might look like start consulting for companies with about 50 employees and offer a contract of like, I will help you implement this marketing change log thing and get you in a place where you can make more competent marketing decisions. Um, and it, uh, you know, then you're, you're just in charge of implementing the process, which is going to look like have a spreadsheet and, you know, all the parties, you know, add to, add to all the standard, uh, operating procedures that, uh, people need to, when they, whenever they do a marketing change and here's what a marketing change is, uh, here's what qualifies for this. Um, make sure that they add it to this spreadsheet, probably an Airtable in a, in a form or something. Um, and then you just write a really simple script that looks at that Airtable data and looks at their Stripe data and then puts the things with the date that they put on the Airtable onto the Stripe data uh, over time. And if you can do that, and you can do that for like, I don't know, two or three companies and have a, a standard thing of this is exactly what it looks like. And, ah, this was surprising. Here's this new category of thing that, uh, classifies as a marketing change log. If you can do that and then, and then systematize like, oh, actually we don't need people to be manually entering these things in, uh, the Airtable spreadsheet. I can get this data automatically by just looking at the blog posts or looking at the tracking IDs or looking at the price. Um, these events can all be added automatically. Now you're talking about that this could be a, a fully automated SaaS, but like, I, th I think I think starting with it as an app is a premature optimization. Start by just solving the problem first. Yeah, I like that. That's basically where I ended up, which is why I did not buy the domain name and why, <laughs> like, I'm not a marketing person, right? So this would be great for like, like Corey Haynes or something, like someone who's like really marketing yeah, yeah. focused. That'd be a good SaaS. Um, also, one of the first SaaS tips that I wrote was called Flintstoning, uh, do it manually first uh, by Alex Hillman and Amy Hoy. They say, do everything manually first, and then you'll know before you put it in software, basically, so that you know Love what it. to build. Great uh, advice. So I should follow that SaaS tip. Uh, yes. Yeah. So those were the SaaS ideas I had that, that went nowhere because of all the reasons we just talked about, but it was, yeah, it was neat to yeah hear you analyze them. So that's cool. what I did. It was fun. I enjoyed these hot takes. Here's what I did this last week. Uh, I took up this consulting contract with my friend Trig, who is a magician who I talk about all the time. It's so much fun. <laughs> just like, it's just a totally different world. And he, for, for anyone uh, just tuning in who doesn't know about Trig, he is a very technologically like future oriented magician trying to solve this problem of like, when you think of a magician, you probably think of someone in a top hat and tails and they have a wand and 
uh, you know, a rabbit out of a hat and stuff. But that image of a magician was contemporary to the time that that sort of magician was popular. Like, to th that sort of magician existed when it wasn't unusual for people to be wearing top hats and tails. A modern magician should use things like iPhones and iPads and TVs and projectors and stuff. Um, and so, you know, instead of polling the audience by like passing around a box with pieces of paper in it, wouldn't it be cool if you pulled the audience by having them text you? So uh, I can't get into the details of like what the effect is or, or what the work is, but it involved texting and, and uh, Twilio and that sort of thing. Um, and it's really fun for me to like step outside of my normal SAS thing and, and throw this together. And in the past, I've done things for him just for free. And we talked about how uh, it's sort of difficult to have that kind of a relationship with friends of, uh, well, is this, am I going to charge you for this? Or is this like a favor thing? And there's a lot of, there, he consistently has really fun projects to work on. And I would, I, I approached this project wanting to set up a sustainable way that we could uh, have an arrangement that worked for both of us, where he's getting the software that he wants, that I've been making for him forever. And uh, I don't feel resentful that I spent a whole bunch of time doing this instead of working on my SAS. So uh, this is the first time that I charged him for work that I did. Um, and I'm going to get into the juicy details. I, awesome. uh, I came up with a number that was based on numbers of like what he thought it would cost if he hired someone else to do it. And that number was $2,412. Uh, <laughs> very, specific. very specific. Very uh, specific. From Never Split the Difference, you ah. come up with a very specific number and then people are less likely to, to move it around. All right. uh, like if I said $2,400, he'd be like, how about $2,100? But if I said $2,412, I, I told him this. I was like, yeah, I chose that number because I've Never Split the Difference. And he was like, oh, okay. Um, so, I, so actually, just pause there for a sec because that uh, was actually a great move. Like that informed him that you were thinking about it and that you picked a number that he was unlikely to argue with because you yeah. wanted that number. Yes. So as a friend, he's not going to argue with that. Like, no. <laughs> not because it's a weird number, but because you you stated that that was your intention. Uh, that's yes. actually a great that's actually a great move to tell them that you're doing that. I'm, uh, I'm glad yeah. you like that. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it also works. Yeah. It, it's, it's cool that it works even if you tell them what you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, I don't feel like I'm being a manipulative scumbag. Like that's, that's why I chose the number. Yeah. Um, so I mentally was thinking like, okay, this is an add on to an app that I've already made. And you know, it's, it's worth that much to him because he agreed to that price and he's happy with it. Cause he knows I'm going to do it. And like, I understand what it means to be a magician and the, the sorts of things. And I'm going to pay attention to the right details and, it's going to be much easier for him to do this if I'm doing it than someone else. And I feel like I can I can get this done in like a day, <laughs> like <laughs> like three maybe four palms max because I've done all the heavy lifting of this. I've built a Twilio app that has a lot of the same guts that this thing would need to do of sending and receiving texts. Um, the the changes that he needs are really just cosmetic with a little extra thing sprinkled on top. So, uh. After MicroConf, I, we, we both took the whole week off to go to MicroConf. Uh, Monday morning, I'm like, ah, this the deadline for this thing's coming up. It's mostly done. Uh, I've, I've just spent like a palm on it here and there. Let's knock this out today. Uh, I think I've already spent like, you know, three or three or four palms on it. So already over what I thought it would be. Like, ah, one, one more palm and we're, we're going to be done. <laughs> and uh, I start the day. And by the end of the day, like I have just done things that are like really low level lay in pipe. Um, and I'm like, okay, well that's solidified now so tomorrow for <laughs> sure tomorrow this is gonna be done and uh tuesday comes and i end up working the entire day on this thing again i'm like all right well wednesday wednesday for sure 
and man one one of the things was just, it was the most frustrating thing it was a firebase cloud function that just like was not doing it didn't make any sense why it was doing the thing it was doing i think i lamented this to you like four palms in a row of like i'm mm -hmm. i'm still debugging the stupid issue of this this function will do the thing i wanted to do so those i can sort of write off as like that was me learning more about what firebase does and uh getting a, a better handle on that that wasn't that wasn't like strictly in this project but i i was there because of this project so i end up uh working until like you know thursday and i'm, I'm back and forth with trick of like okay here it is and here's the current state of it and he tries to use it and it's broken it doesn't work in the way that he needs to use it and i'm like ah shoot there's 12 different reasons this could be broken and you know 10 of them would mean that it can't be done unless i totally redo it with something else so friday morning comes and uh i get this really clever live debugging thing where uh, he's looking at the page through ngrok on my local mm. machine. So I make a change and he immediately sees it on his computer. Nice. So that was really cool. Uh, he was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is yeah. real magic. And I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> um, and uh, we're able to make it work and he's able to use it for a show that he has that night. And he texts me later and he's like, it worked and it was great and they loved it. And I just felt this warm, fuzzy feeling inside combined with this undercurrent of like, man, I spent way more time on this than i thought i was going to this i'm gonna do the calculation of the hours uh dollars per hour for this on makers.dev on monday and i'm gonna be ashamed of like <laughs> i was working for you know 12 dollars an hour uh with how much this project was worth and immediately before this podcast i looked up on my time tracker midnight.app exactly how much time i spent on it including the phone calls i had with him uh including that as like billable hours uh and i added up all that time and I uh, took the amount that I charged him for it, uh, $2,412, and divided by th that by the amount of time. The amount of time was 13 hours and 8 minutes. So 2,412 divided by 13 hours and 8 minutes is $3.06 a minute, which is $183.60 an hour, which I am very happy with as an hourly rate. So I would be very happy to do this again. That That's great. Yeah. Um, as a consultant, one reason I don't take small dollar, I, so small dollar, 2400 is not a, small dollars, but it's small dollars for consulting projects. Sure. Um, one reason I don't take small dollar projects is because it's way easy to go crazy overboard and uh, yeah. totally get ruined. Uh, so yeah. that's nice that you didn't. Uh, that's good. Awesome. Um, now, you. what about like future work, future changes, future like downtime, that kind of thing? Um, is that paid or is that included? Yeah, we talked a little bit about that of like what's in scope and what's out of scope. He already has an idea for a, a thing that he wants that's out of scope of what the original yeah. uh, thing was. And I don't know. I, I would like your feedback on that. I think what I'm going to do is say, well, I'm happy working at $183.60 an hour. Uh, how about... I, I, I wouldn't either quote him like, I can either try to estimate, I think this is how much time it'll take. So let me charge you this much. Or I can say, well, this is my hourly rate, and you assume the the risk of that it might take me longer, and I'll charge you this much per hour. How would you do that? I would not switch to hourly because uh, customers. So, so I'll speak generally. Customers who are used to paying fixed bid don't yeah. like switching to hourly like that. Yeah, that they don't like taking on that risk because, like, the reason they chose fixed bid is because they like the certainty of that. Yep. Also, Trig as a magician has zero idea how to estimate you know software hours. <laughs> right. Um, um, also has probably zero concept of like a software feature change can seem like it will take one hour and will take 10. Yep. Like that is totally possible. Yep. Um, and is, as totally different calculus, you know, for whether or not he does it. Yeah. So I would continue to do fixed 
price things. I would, anything under say five hundred dollars, I would just do for free. Once it gets to five hundred, I would bill in. I would I would quote in increments of five hundred and or or four twelve, whatever you do. Um, <laughs> that's how I would approach it. Yeah, that's interesting. That anything under five hundred dollars, you would just do for free because that 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 is in the umbrella of the next feature. The the next feature he wants. I think would take 25 minutes. I think would take one palm. So it's probably going to take, I don't know, <laughs> four palms. Uh, yeah. Now, if he starts coming up with a 25 minute feature every week, then you're in right. trouble. But my guess is he'll have one or maybe two of those. Right. And I would just include those. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. That would feel good. Yeah. Cause one eighty three sixty, like I'm overly happy with that. I, yeah. uh, I, Mentally, I was thinking like, you know, anything above 150, I'm going to be happy. Um, so, yeah, I do have room and I feel pretty comfortable assuming that risk of just doing it. Um, and it is out of scope, but now that's sort of, it, it would feel good to do that. Uh, yeah, there's also the additional dynamic because he's your friend, right? So, like, you yeah, really yeah, want yeah. this to be a success just because he's your friend, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I don't, for that sort of thing, I I, I would be perfectly happy with the uh setup that that like both of us are used to projects working about like this so now he i feel like would be much more likely to toss me jobs in the future if he knows i'm not going to nickel and dime him afterwards like every little thing he wants i'm going to charge him for it i like the risk of of uh five hundred dollars that like if it's something that would take less than five hundred dollars of my time just do it five hundred seems a little high 250 <laughs> something, sure, it's something sure. that would take more than uh more than 250 dollars of my time uh then i'll bill him again for it and if it's a faster change than that then it makes more sense to just do it uh because that's i can sort of mentally categorize that as like it's kind of like sales time because that's increasing the likelihood that i'll get another bigger project in the future yeah okay that, that all flows to regular consulting too so as for regular consulting i would say stuff you know like for high dollar things like make it known that you're going to charge a lot of money but for little things be super generous with your time and your in your info like never hold anything yeah. back like always share all of your information um yeah. always be very generous with like and quick with responding and stuff like that so like yeah. all those ancillary things just be super generous but then also make it clear that for big things you're going to charge a lot of money yeah um, that's how i approach consulting yeah cool okay yeah I like that. Yeah, and then when you're buying bigger things, you feel much better about it. Like that's that's the interaction that I would want to have with a contractor. Um, yeah, I like that. I'm uh, I'm building a shed, and uh, I was I was reminded of a YouTube video I watched of someone who was building a shed, and they accidentally cut the internet line uh, that was mm. buried in their yard, and they contacted whatever Time Warner uh, about it, and they said that they were going to send someone out the next day to repair it for free. And that feels like the same sort of thing. Like, yeah. what does that take the cable company? They gotta like the, the cost is sending the guy out there, and then he's gonna be there for ten minutes splicing the cable together. He's got whatever the specialized tool is of being able to repair the cable, uh, and then he's gonna be gone. Like, it wouldn't make sense to bill them for that because it's gonna be like an insultingly small bill. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and then it's 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 like a way to do marketing. It's it's a way to build the customer relationship, and then in the future when you know you raise your rates by 20% that it costs that much more to, to have the uh, the internet you've you've filled the reservoir of the relationship beforehand so 
it, it would feel better. Maybe that's not a perfect example, but that, that's where my mind it tracks. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Thank you. Um, that's what I'll do. Uh, two more things I want to talk about. I after spending last week working on this project for Trig, and the week before at MicroConf today was our first day working on uh, for for me working on FileMX again, and it felt great. I was just jamming. Good. I yeah. Oh, I, I missed it. <laughs> So yeah, I, I really like where I am with file inbox. I'm just slowly pushing it forward just every day. It gets a little bit better. Um, today I knocked off something like six to do's of things that were broken or things to be improved and it's going, man. It's, and, and there's, there's a lot of unpolished pieces of it. There's a, a lot of parts of it that are just completely missing, but like for the pieces that are there, I really like this. I'm, I'm building something I'm really proud of. This is the thing that I've wanted file inbox to be for, you know, the last five years I'm, I'm making it happen. Uh, so that feels really good. Uh, I don't really have anything else interesting to say about that, but uh, Filebox uh, feels good to work on again. That's cool. Yeah, I had a similar thing with Acorn Chat. So this last the last few days. So based on April Dunford's um, suggestion to do a buyer's guide, basically like a really yeah. honest buyer's guide, I started putting together a bunch of information about Acorn Chat and the competitor, like competitive landscape kind of things, and before every first palm that we worked on it i said i don't want to do this and then at the end i was like oh, i'm glad i did that and so yeah yeah it's uh the, the work feels better than starting the work um yeah for me anyway <laughs> you've gotten to a great place with that too the buyer's guide outline that you showed me today looks really good you really simplified you did the thing that april dunford said to do yeah. with, like you're, you're simplifying the buying process into a decision tree of three questions that are answerable from the customer from where they are now. It's yep. something like, uh, you know, is does your team currently have help desk software, software that they love? Well, of course they know that because <laughs> they know what software they're using. And the next question is like, uh, you know, is your team bigger than uh, five people? Well, of 15, course I know that. Yeah. 15. Uh, and then the next question is, uh, does your team currently use Slack? And yeah. of course I know if I use Slack. Uh, and that's very different than the questions of like, how many visitors do you get per day that are asking you if you want to, if they want to send a message or something, um, or in, from April Dunford's talk, you know, how what's the what's the maximum uh, weight of <laughs> solids that you need to flush? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But if you ask me the question like, how frequently is this bathroom used? Is it used frequently, like in a bedroom, or is it used infrequently, like in a basement? I can answer that uh, right. as the homeowner. That's a you've, you've rephrased it uh, the way that I want. So I think you did a really good job with that. And I found myself feeling envious of you. Like you're doing marketing work. That is the work that makes your business more successful. Like this, this is what it looks like. Um, and I'm still stuck in this technical. Like I love it. <laughs> writing, <laughs> writing code is great. Uh, and it's so much higher impact doing the thing that you're doing. Like this is, I'm, I'm coming to appreciate so much more now. Like this is the work that, is actually moving the needle forward on on growing your business and, and helping people. I'm reminded of uh, the the podcast we had last week um, talking about the uh, Chrome extensions with Tim Tim Leland. Le is, yep. Yes. Um, he got me thinking about the the struggle I had in the early days of File Inbox because like to get to the point where I started making money, all of the work leading up to that point was software development. It was all just like here's the problem as I'm experiencing it. Let me write code until the code solves the problem and done. And I implemented Stripe uh, as a thing of work and then people started sending me money. And I was like, wow, this is great. How do I get more of this? Do I write more code? Do I do I integrate Stripe again? Yeah. Uh, and that's not at all what the work looks like. The, the thing that got me there does not grow the business. It, it's not more software that's gonna fix it. It's marketing. It's doing the thing that you're doing. It's telling more people about it. It's 
writing buyer's guides, it's simplifying things from the from the buyer's perspective. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to get to that point again. We've talked about that I just have a pathological need to to do this and uh, rewrite file inbox, but like we're getting real close. In my head right now, it's like a month away <laughs> that this is, uh, I'm, I'm gonna be able to just like import all my users into this new uh, serverless thing and then I'll be able to join you in your marketing cool. work. So, so what you will feel, what I have felt, is uh, exactly the opposite, which is hilarious because I see you doing all this development stuff and I'm like, oh, you're really pushing the, your SaaS forward <laughs> and I'm doing nothing. I'm just doing customer, <laughs> your competitor research. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, it, like it, even while I'm doing it and I know it's the right thing to do, like I can't shake my developer brain. Of, yeah. Of, uh, yeah. Man, I get it. I get it, dude. I'll, I'm happy to push you forward. And <laughs> when I'm there, I expect you to pull me forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... <sighs> It's it's a lot like writing software though, right? It's like writing software for people. It's yeah, kind of. Yeah. You're you're it's it's instructions for humans instead of instructions for computers. And it's a different skill, but it's sort of the same thing. It's you're you're still trying to solve a problem. You it's still a lot of the same things are important of like having code that's more concise is better and having a blog post that's more concise is is better and uh <laughs> making it accessible to more people is better and uh, having it be more efficient that like people can get from the beginning and the, to the end faster is better. Um, yeah, it's yeah. We we both cut our teeth on software that one. <laughs> it's, it can be it can be hard to make that transition. Uh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'll be there soon. Cool. I have one more thing I want to talk about, uh, which I would like a hot take on. All right. It's called face follower. Face follower. Face follower. Uh, I mean, several things. What, what does that mean to you? It's like, like my Campbell I have. Um, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> um, the, so uh, part of my ongoing discussion with Brian Richards, the uh, guy behind WP Sessions, the virtual conference, um, that that was a goalpost I had for file and development for a long time of like, uh, I want to build it up to the point where he can use it to receive these conference talk uh, recordings. And I did that. And then uh, I'm still chatting with him. He's a, he's a good friend. Uh, and the next thing that he was like, well, you solved this huge problem for me. This is great. Uh, but you know what would be really great is if you could automate editing it. And I was like, well, actually, I've done a lot of that for Eclipse on Marketing. So if you wanted to do like a, a little contract, perhaps for <laughs> something in the neighborhood of $2,412, uh, I'd be happy to do that. Um, and, uh, and so we got, to, we, we got to talking about what that would look like for editing. And he has an editor, which is interesting because i was like well your editor charges you nothing like does that that doesn't make sense for you to automate this and he was like yeah you're right but there's a specific thing in editing that my editor is not very good at doing that would make a better product and a better product i could justify spending a lot more money on and that is in the view so so you have a conference talk and they're recording their screen and they're recording their face and then you have these manufactured third and fourth angles of like it's the screen with your face tiny in the bottom right and it's like the screen and the face and then the whole video has a background of your conference custom branding or whatever. And when the face is smaller, you have to sort of like crop it and zoom it in. And if the person recording this isn't trained in staying perfectly in the center of their video, uh, mm -hmm. which by the way, in, in editing uh, Tim Leland's episode last week, we do perfectly. Like, I don't know how this happened, but our faces stay perfectly in the middle of our video. We're, we're not moving back and forth at all. Probably because we have the microphones in place and we're staying by those. Yeah, the mics and the, and the UI, like we're used to it now. I mean, we've done 71 episodes, so we're yeah, used yeah. to staying in the middle. Yeah, Tim was pretty good, but there were a lot of times where he was leaning off to one side or the other. Uh, so 
four people who record their conference talks on Brian's site um, and are not as familiar with staying in the middle. Wouldn't it be great if, for that smaller zoomed-in view, you had an easy way to follow their face? And he was like, man, I've Googled all around for something like this. They could just crop into the face and just follow it around. Very similar to Apple's uh, center stage feature of their mm. webcams. It's capturing video in 4K that's like this wide angle, but then it can zoom into individual uh, faces. I think Facebook's Facebook had a little like uh, uh, countertop video chatting thing that, that did this too. Um, wouldn't it be great if there was like a, a software way to do this? And I, I can't find anything about it in Final Cut Pro. I, it, it's, it's a surprisingly unsolvable problem with the current technologies. So <laughs> I uh, took the book that you recommended me, learned TensorFlow.js, and uh, oh, found yeah. their little mm -hmm. code of like, here's how you track a face, and found a new library that, uh, that does that really quickly. Uh, and entirely in the browser was able to mock up an app where you drag and drop a video in and it tracks frame by frame in the browser. Here's where the face is and here's these key points of like the eyes and the mouth and the ears and, and the nose. And from that, there's also a way in the browser entirely to run FFmpeg and based on some criteria of like, here's how big the video, here's how zoomed in you wanna be. Yep. Uh, you know, here's how slow the video is gonna pan back and forth. Uh, I could, in the browser, analyze and export a video that is following the face. Uh, what's your hot take on that idea? Okay, uh, very cool technically. Um, there is a, an app, what's it called? Around, around.in or something? No, I can't find it. There, there, there is a thing like Zoom, but it puts your face in a little bubble and then you can have mm -hmm. bubbles instead of like a Zoom window on your screen. Um, and it follows your face. It does pretty, pretty well. Um, so people have built it into things like Zoom before. I don't know of any that have it uh, as a standalone thing. I haven't looked for it, but um, yeah. It, what this feels like to me is, so in the browser is cool. What it feels like though is like an After Effects or a Final Cut Pro plugin. Yeah. Um, because then you're in their workflow, right? So yeah. if you can figure out how to do it on their computer, so you don't need server stuff, then you could probably yep. sell it for a hundred bucks as a plugin pretty easily. That is probably the route that I would look at, unless you have some good way, you know, some some way that you're going to get customers. Like, how are you going to do marketing for a face-following thing? Yeah, um, that's what I'm trying to think about. But it's cool if you can do it technically. But it feels that's like that's a, a really plugin. good point. That it, it would make more sense as a video editor plugin. I'm reminded of uh, Amy Hoy and Alex Simmons. Uh, uh, part of their 3500 step is to figure out what your audience buys mm -hmm. so like don't don't sell an ipad app to an audience who doesn't use ipads um the audience here i think would be video editors and the thing that they buy is plugins yeah um interesting that that i have no idea how plugins work though um but i assume everything i'm doing would be technically possible that like i could run a little tensorflow thing in the background and yeah so okay. with photoshop i know that you can you can run javascript or some weird version of javascript on the client device you may need a backend though if it was like a photoshop plugin um i have no idea about after effects or final cut pro okay do you know if final cut pro has an app store marketplace <laughs> i have no idea after I effects have no idea after effects does okay interesting yeah well, that well would be the adobe play. does does after effects after effects <laughs> I know people sell After Effects plugins. I know people sell Final Cut Pro okay. plugins too. AE scripts. So there is like a scripts plugin. There's a place to sell scripts. 
Okay. It's kind of tricky selling this sort of thing without a built-in marketplace because yeah, what do you do? Go on like Gumroad and sell it, and then they put it on a pirating site, and then <laughs> no one applies it. Maybe. Um, okay. Okay. I think that's a really good idea, and I think. Oh man, what, what, what I want to do, do is like if, build this if he wants to pay for it in a contracting yeah. thing. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, if if you can find two, say three people, so yeah. find three people to buy it, uh, yeah. then you can build it. How about okay. that? <laughs> All right, Chris. I'll find three customers first. <laughs> I just wanna build it. Uh, you cool. could. I okay, mean, since it's in the browser, you could also. You know what this would be good for? Um, if you did make clips out marketing a thing, this would be great. Mm -hmm. Engineering is marketing. So this is built oh, in a browser. Oh, shit. Actually, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. And this is a problem I was having before with clips marketing of uh, how you convert landscape videos to portrait. Oh. Build it in a browser, write yeah, a giant yeah, yeah. blog post about it, do a video about it, and publish it everywhere for free. That's what I do. Absolutely. This is a part of clips marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what makes this make sense. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because then, oh man, that that that's perfect. That that solves what I was trying to get done. Yeah, because then, then what I can do is for this really tricky problem of like you have a landscape video that goes on YouTube, but you want to publish a clip of it on TikTok. How do you do that? You follow the face. You follow the face, and you yeah. you yeah you. Oh man, perfect. Okay, I'm gonna need to chew on that for a few days. Uh, cool. That was a really good hot take. Good stuff. Uh. Chris, that's all I got. Uh, that's all I got too. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye.